The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Amen. Please remain standing and turn in your scriptures to the Gospel of Matthew. If you're visiting with us, you're very welcome indeed. We are glad to see you, and we are working our way through Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 6, reading from verse 19 through to verse 34. Matthew 6 verse 19 to 34. And here our Lord is going to teach us about the connection between priorities and worry and anxiety. So let's give our attention to God's word. Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness." No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Lord, may we now hear your word and obey it by faith, giving our whole heart to you now, Lord, in preaching and in hearing. Uh, Lord, be be very present in our midst to so order our priorities that we set our minds now on things which are above and we find peace and contentment in your perfect, sovereign, holy and wise will. Give this unto us, Lord, that we might worship you well. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, our Lord is very clearly dealing with the connection between priorities and how those priorities affect us in life, anxiety and 
worry. And I want to say up front, there are a number of causes of anxiety and worry, Uh, many different ones. There are spiritual, emotional, and there are physical causes of anxiety, physiological things which can create worry and uh, trouble within us. I don't think our Lord is principally dealing with those matters here. I think he's dealing with the connection between uh, wrong or right priorities and how that has an undoubted effect upon our lives. He focuses here upon worldly-mindedness. Worldly-mindedness as being the chief cause of trouble and anxiety in our life. There are other causes. I don't think our Lord is speaking to them right now, and I'm not going to speak to them today either. This is a sobering teaching, is it not? It's sobering, but also liberating, blessedly liberating, We understand that our Lord is saying this, if our priorities are earthly, if they're selfish, self-centered, by definition, our life will be filled with anxiety. But if our priorities are heavenly, we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we will be liberated from the kind of earthly worry that we see throughout this world. Our Lord wants us to be heavenly-minded, to have our priorities straight, and thus live a life of peace and contentment. And he's going to do that in two ways. He'll lay out a foundation in verses 19 to 24, and then he will apply that foundation in verse 25, following the foundation is really about what are your priorities? What do you treasure? What do you love the most in this world? On the basis of that foundation about priorities, he will then take up the issue of the effects of our priorities. In this case, anxiety in the heart of a man or woman. So, what are your priorities? And secondly, why are you anxious? What are your priorities, friends? What were the priorities of the Jews? Here then, you see our Lord is identifying often the subtle kind of idolatry that exists in our lives. And he raises three areas of concern. Verse 19, what do you treasure? Verse 22, what do you look at? Verse 24, who do you serve? A note, on the basis of that teaching in 19 to 24, the very next word in verse 25 is a connecting word, therefore. If this is the case, therefore, or in other words, this should not be the case, therefore, do not be anxious. The grammar and the logic are clear. They're clear, no matter how much we might dislike it, they are clear. The point is this, friends, if the Christian is living according to his or her gospel freedoms, his or her gospel peace, and living according to the gospel life that God has given us in Christ, that is to say, they have set their minds on things which are above, we will enjoy the peace which passes understanding We will be liberated from the crushing anxiety and worry that we know can exist in our lives. So our Lord is going to raise three areas for our consideration. First this, what do you treasure? What do you treasure in your life? What captivated the hearts 
of the Jews of our Lord's time? What is captivating your heart, dear friends? Our Lord says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not, a command, do not do this. Now, we know the people to whom he was speaking, often the Jewish leaders, we know that they prized both wealth and reputation. They prized wealth. In Luke 16, verse 14, they're called lovers of money. In John 12, 24, we read of those who believed in Christ but would not confess him openly for fear of being thrown out of the synagogue. And it says they loved the glory that comes from men. Wealth and reputation. Wealth and reputation are the two things the Jews prized most highly. Problem with wealth and reputation is this. Neither will get you into the kingdom of heaven. Neither will get you into the kingdom of heaven. It is harder, says our Lord, for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And reputation for men is passing. It ends as soon as it's given. They can't get you into the kingdom of heaven. Moreover, these kinds of earthly treasures have an inherent problem within them. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. If what you love is down here, if what we treasure and prize is down here, in an earthly sense, that's where our heart is. And we ought not expect to spend eternity with Almighty God. To be enamored with the things of this world is to be earthly. It is not to be enamored with heavenly things. So our Lord says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on heaven. You see, the trouble with reputation, with glory, uh, with, with wealth and all such things is this. Ultimately, they cannot deliver what they promise. They are untrustworthy They are transient. Moth and rust destroy them. Moths destroy them. Uh, That's how temporary and feeble these kinds of treasures are. Thieves break in and steal them. Friends, to put your trust in things which are so volatile, so temperamental, so subject to loss, is both the height of folly and of unbelief. That's what our Lord is saying. And Christ provides the answer here, verse 20. He says, but, positively, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. What's he talking about? He's really talking about himself. He's talking about himself. He's saying to them, the way to be temporally and materially secure and to be eternally secure is to put your faith in Jesus Christ and none other. He is to be your treasure because he is the one who has lasting righteousness. It is his work which takes away sins. Jesus is saying to the Jews and he's saying to you to be a friend, let me be your treasure. Let me be your pearl of greatest price. Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
but then he turns his mind to what we look at. Or perhaps we could say this, what we set our sights upon in verse 22. It's the same basic idea, but with a different lens or through a different lens. It's the lens, of course, of the eye. The eye is the lamp of the body. You see, he's questioning the loyalties of those who listen to him. What is your eye fixed upon, dear friend? You see, the eye is the principal lens through which you receive and observe the world. Everything about you. It's not the only one, but it is the principal one. Think, if you hear a noise, the first thing you do is you turn to look at it to see what is the nature of that noise. You're discerning more with your eye than any other part or sense of life. We know, of course, in Scripture, it is the heart that directs. But what comes out of us and what goes into us, particularly what goes into us, specifically goes into us through the eye. The eye is your chief receptacle on this world. Jesus says it's the lamp of your body. It provides light or it allows darkness into your soul, depending upon what your eye settles upon. Consequently, if your eye, really your heart, but your eye, if that's healthy, Jesus says your whole body is filled with light, spiritual light, spiritual vigor and health. The one who's walking well before the Lord sets his sights on those heavenly things. But the opposite is true, he says. If your eye is bad, your heart is unbelieving, your soul is filled with darkness. And everything you receive through the eyes has that dark quality. And what we look at, what we set our sights upon, determines the character of who we are. In fact, it speaks in a large way to the presence of faith in us. Our Lord says this, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Whether it's wealth, career, leisure, the academic achievements of our children, all the other things we can set our sights upon, if our sights are set upon those, then we're filling ourselves with darkness. Jesus says, if as religious people we think the light in us, uh, we think that the light within us is light and it's actually darkness, how great is that darkness? Don Carson says on this passage, that darkness is especially appalling if the person deceives himself into believing that his nominal loyalty to kingdom values is deep and genuine when in fact it is shallow and contrived. That person's darkness is great who thinks the darkness is light. Friends, we're talking here about the sins not of the unbeliever, but of the covenant member, the Christian, of the scribe, the Pharisee, the covenant member. Is Jesus speaking to us in this moment, dear friends? The third matter he attends to is the matter of your loyalty. Who do you serve? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, says our Lord. 
immediately makes us ask the question, is something else in this life stealing my heart, mastering my heart? Because to have two masters, friends, is to be in an unenviable situation. It is an impossible task. You cannot, in fact, have two masters, as our Lord says. He says, for either you will love the one and hate the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't have two masters. You might claim to have two masters, or it might look like you have two masters, but ultimately you only have one. Friends, if we have another master other than God himself, then God is simply not our master. It cannot be that way. Serving God and money or fill in the blank will not work. Either God is our master or someone else or something else is. Do you see how our Lord has lined up our priorities? He's instructed us. He's made us question ourselves. To love this world is to have loyalty to this world. And in time, friends, our Lord is going to show that's a fool's errand. To be in love with this world is to be on a fool's errand. Because the world will never supply what you need. Read verse 25. And eternally, if you are in love with this world, you're on one track only for condemnation and an eternal hell. To live like this is, as our Lord says in verse 31 following, to live as Gentiles live, to live as unbelievers live, in constant pursuit of the world, or some worldly priority, is to be without Christ. And if you live without Christ in time, there's only one consequence, in this passage anyway. There's many, of course. But the natural consequence of living without Christ is to have a life filled to the brim with anxiety, with cares, with worries, with divided loyalties. It only goes one way in time. That's why our Lord is talking about why are we anxious in verse 25 following. What causes us anxiety? Again, I'm not talking about medical, medically induced anxiety And I'm not an expert on that, but I know it exists. I'm talking about the kind of anxiety that comes from having our priorities wrong. We see in society, do we not, that the country in which we live, the world in which we live, is faced by unparalleled levels of mental health trouble, of suicide, of all manner of physical and emotional disorders anxiety has gone through the roof why because as man rejects god he will inevitably fall into this life of anxiety this cycle of anxiety notice therefore then our lord says this verse 25 therefore i tell you do not be anxious do not be anxious Notice the connection. Notice the connection. Therefore, is it not interesting that our Lord has just taught us how to pray? And that the Lord's Prayer, Pastor Rockin preached on it a few weeks back, divides into two kinds of categories. 
that the petitions largely pray a prayer about God and his priorities, then prayer for our needs. And look what the first petition is of our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. Our Lord's teaching us about priorities. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Therefore, he has taught us how to pray. He has taught us how to be before God. He has taught us about our loyalties and our priorities. Consequently, he says, I tell you, do not be anxious. To have earthly priorities is simply to pour anxiety into our life. It is a self-perpetuating cycle of worry and anxiety. Friend, if you're chasing worldly things... That is, by definition, going to be your life. Because worldly things are always prone to decay, to loss, to temporariness in their nature. They never provide what they promise. That's the nature of idolatry. Read Psalm 135, the latter verses. What is true of all the idols, they have eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear, mouths but do not speak. They're unresponsive. As gods, they don't provide the answers. The psalmist goes on to say, those who make them become like them. They do not possess the satisfaction that the Christian possesses in Christ. And the reality with this kind of idolatry is this. When we have, we want more. That tells us, friends, they are not satisfying The goals and priorities and targets of this world simply do not satisfy you in time, nor satisfy your soul eternally. That's why our Lord is saying to us, put your priorities right, therefore do not be anxious. A clear connection. Heavenly priorities, such as seeking first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, will order our lives in peace and contentment. And our Lord is not talking about bad things happening to us. Those things will always happen to us. How will we respond? In anxiety or in peace and contentment? You see, when life becomes one long frustrated search for meaning, we see the effects on life. Just look around you. The crime statistics, broken homes, drug addiction mental health amongst the young who are trying to pursue some sort of TikTok ideal in their own lives, people searching for the means to scratch the itch, to be satisfied in education, employment, in sex, in alcohol, drugs, leisure, whatever it might be. We've seen it time and time again. It simply ruins the individual. It ruins the family. It ruins the church. It ruins society. Why? Because it cannot provide what we need. We need Jesus Christ. That's what we need. To live like this, friends, is slavery to sin. It's to live like the Gentiles, to live like the pagans, constantly pursuing this, that, or the other to find satisfaction. Jesus has said to us today, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, therefore do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. In fact, notice this, he commands you not to be anxious. I know, easier said than done. 
Easier obeyed, easier said than obeyed. He commands you, do not be anxious. And not once does he command you to be anxious. Three times, verse 25, I tell you, do not be anxious. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious. Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious. A threefold command to the Christian who is living in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and all its liberating power, Jesus says to you, do not be anxious. Commit your anxieties to the Lord. Think rightly. Think theologically. Think in a God-honoring fashion. And you will know that peace and contentment. Three times Jesus says to you today, do not be anxious. First in verse 25, about, what you, about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. And notice he's dealing with the basics of life there. Food, drink, what we're going to wear. And if we're not to be anxious about those things, how less anxious should we be about things like reputation and the glory that comes from men? Why should we not be anxious? One, because Jesus says life is more than these things. These things, what we'll eat, what we'll wear, what we'll drink, cannot dominate our lives. Secondly, he tells us don't be anxious about life because of the sparrows. If God provides for them, do we not think he's going to provide for his children for whom he sent his own son to live and die? He says, verse 27, can you add an hour to your life by anxiety and worry? You can't. Don't do it. It's literally a waste of your emotional and intellectual energy to do so. He says, verse 28, don't worry about your clothing. God clothes the lilies of the field with more grandeur than he clothes Solomon in all his glory. Do you not think he will take care of you, dear Christian? To descend into anxiety is to be, verse 30, to be those of little faith. Little faith. In other words, friends, the Christian who trusts the Lord for provision in every situation of life, whether at times of plenty or times of want, the Christian that trusts is resting in God's will. As we sing the hymn, Whate'er my God ordains is right. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's to be our mindset. We can trust the Lord God for his provision for us. And to trust the Lord God is to have that life of peace and contentment. Christian peace, Christian contentment. He says again in verse 31, do not be anxious, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. To seek after these earthly things with idolatrous lust is to live as an unbeliever, our Lord is saying. And that might be temporary in our lives. We might go through a short time where we're captivated by that kind of searching and seeking and grasping after the things of this life. It's not just whether we're a believer or an unbeliever, though that's important. At times, believers think like unbelievers. Our Lord is saying, don't think like an unbeliever. You're not an unbeliever. Don't think like one. Act according to what you believe. 
Is not our heavenly Father the sovereign God? Do not the cattle upon a thousand hills belong unto him? Will he not give us what we need, not what we want, but what we need? Friends, he most assuredly will. We've never seen the righteous go hungry, have we? Scripture says that. God will give to us, give to you what you need in the moment you need it. Therefore, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. And of course, I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying significantly for the sake of time. We know that all the trials of life can be profound. Whether we're looking for our next meal or whether we're faced by life-threatening illness or everything in between, our Lord is saying to us, do not be anxious. Do you not know that your heavenly Father knows that you need them? He says in verse 34, the third time, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Remember, he taught us to pray for this day's needs. Give us this day our daily bread. He's saying to us, we have enough to concern ourselves with today before we start worrying about tomorrow. God will provide. God will grant the growth. God will provide the fruit. Listen, results are not your responsibility. Results are not your responsibility. God provides the growth. God gives what we need. Not one of you has an ounce of control about the outcome or the result of your efforts. It's all of God. So stop worrying about the results. God is not concerned about how much output there is in terms of fruitfulness. He is concerned about faithfulness. That's what's laid before each one of us. Faithfulness in thought. Faithfulness in action. Uprightness in our perception of trials and our working through them. Faithfulness is what you are called to. Not the results. God will take care of that himself. And that's a great challenge, isn't it, to our faith? To confine our thinking to simply the process, to our actions and thoughts and faithfulness. Because when we're faced by a crisis, what do we do? We want to do something to fix it, don't we? Of course we do. Whether it's a crisis in our own lives or a crisis in somebody else's life, our our heart goes out to them. We want to fix it. We want to get the right result. And yet what happens when we do that? Inevitably, God is going to show us again and again and again and again, results belong to me. You just need to look after your own conduct. And so trials can legitimately and illegitimately at times overwhelm us. We can be faced with a scale of trial which before us just seems impenetrable. There's no way over it, through it, around it, or under it. This is the way life will be. Fear, anxiety, anger, bitterness are all products of this kind of mindset our Lord is warning us about. Our spirits become anxious. 
Our bodies become more tense, troubled, sleepless, and so on, because there are always physical effects to spiritual trials. Why? Probably, and not in every case, but probably, because we've lost sight of the eternal, sovereign God. We've lost sight of his promise. We've lost sight of his provision. We've lost sight of his faithfulness. And we've begun to think like the pagan. Calvin wrote, The only cure for covetousness, which is the prelude to this kind of anxiety, the only cure for covetousness is to embrace the promises of God by which he assures us that he will take care of us. He will take care care of us and our lord provides us as we close the ultimate remedy the ultimate remedy to this way of thinking and this way of living this cycle of anxious living it's right there in verse 33 we passed over it didn't we verse 33 three but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you Our God is a rewarding God. Seek first the kingdom, and I will add all these needs unto you. I will give what you need. Seeking first the kingdom of God has to be, dear Christian, your number one priority. In every decision you make, am I doing something that will enhance the kingdom of God? will contribute to the kingdom of God? Am I doing something because the kingdom of God and its righteousness is my chief desire in life? Every decision you make will contribute to the kingdom or will flow out of a heart that desires the kingdom of God. Is the kingdom of God and his righteousness your great priority? If you're not a believer in Christ here today, by definition, it is not your great priority. You remain your great priority. It's that simple. I want to tell you today as a friend and as someone who wants to see you saved and brought to Christ, that if you are your own priority, you are consigning yourself to a life of contradiction, complexity, anxiety, worry, and stress. Not to mention hell. That's just the reality of life for you and afterlife. If you want to be tossed to and fro by every hardship or trial, keep going as you are. But you've been warned now. And we would not have you stay in that same estate. We would have you know Christ. And enjoy him. And his blessing and his peace. To do that, dear friend, all you need to do, nothing else, no works, is simply believe on the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. It really is that simple. Acknowledge your sin before God. Put your trust in Christ the Savior and receive blessing upon blessing upon blessing poured out from God the Father onto you. Peace, contentment and joy secondly to you christians here today is the kingdom of god and 
his righteousness your chief priority? Or are we trying to ride two horses? We're trying to serve two masters. Your devotion to the Lord, your seeking first the kingdom of God, will be seen in your devotion to God. Let me say this very clearly, friends. Your seeking first the kingdom of God will be seen in your private, your family, and your public devotion to the Lord. What price do you put on worship, discipleship, of yourself, of your family, and of God's people? How much do we value the kingdom as manifested in this church with this people? Let's be clear, it will be seen. Our seeking of the kingdom will be visible. It will be visible in our own discipleship, our own zeal for God in service. And what our Lord says to us is, if this is true in our lives, if there is that zeal for the kingdom, we're seeking it as our number one priority, look at the blessing he's going to pour out on us. The, The blessing is profound. All these things... All these things will be added to you. And I don't think he's just talking about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear, and so on. He's talking, dear friends, about a peace and contentment in life, even if you're faced by Satan himself assailing you. All these things will be added unto you. One pastor wrote, focus less on your circumstances and more on God's character. That's what the kingdom-minded person is going to do. Whether it's times of good and fullness and blessing or times of hardship and loss, those who seek first the kingdom of God hold fast to this God And all these things are added unto us. Our Lord Jesus said this, My peace I give to you. My peace. Not worry, not anxiety, not trouble, though plenty will come. My peace I give to you. It's a peace, dear friends, which passes all understanding, is received in Christ by the gift of God through faith in the Savior. It is, dear friends, rest assured, a sure and a certain peace which will hold us fast through the trials of this life and bring us unto eternity itself. Who is that peace? It's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you and worship you, that you love us enough to make us search our hearts, and when we find no resources of goodness within us, you cause us to look upon your Son. Oh, blessed are you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship you, and we adore you, and we honor you. Thank you for instructing us this day. And may you sow these words deep down into our hearts that we might know you, Lord God, and put our trust in you all the days of our lives. Thank you, Father in heaven, for being our Father and for caring for us in every way. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.